everyone, and welcome to New Way, the new podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. It dawned on me one day, it's like a light bulb went off and said, you're trying to be like Jesus and it's hard. And so what I decided to do is to say, I need to be like me. I need to find Angela. My guest today is Dr. Angela Boyd-Wyatt. Angela is the founder of the Spiritual Wellness Center, which explores learning that engages the mind, the heart, and the soul to help people live out their truest and highest expression of themselves and to discover purpose and meaning for life's spiritual journey. Angela's interests include spiritual development, evolving relationships with the sacred, and servant leadership. And she's a member of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Welcome, Angela. Hi, thank you. So good to hear you and be here. (laughs) So grateful for this time with you. Um, I wanted to kind of delve into some of the research that you've done that's led you to this place. You received your doctorate in ministry from Columbia Theological Seminary, and you focused on James Fowler's work on stages of faith, the psychology of human development, and the quest for meaning. So you could have done a lot of different things during this period of time. What inspired you to delve into this particular research? Well, I wanted to find resources as I was teaching uh, throughout my career that were spiritual tools that I could bring into a setting and people could actually engage it, not just with head knowledge, but to bring the heart, their emotions, um, their context into the learning experience and also seek ways to see how the holy is working in our lives. And it was a search that led me to not finding one resources, but there were several different resources that I chose from, but I wanted to make it a one curriculum that engages the heart, the mind, and the soul. And I started to look at that as I studied my text, where Christ um, in the in the Bible talked about uh, the one great and first commandment, uh, Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. And um, it talked about loving the Lord thy God with all thy mind, heart, and soul. And so I asked the question, how do we do that? How do I teach that? If that's the one greatest commandment, and this is a doctrine that was given to us, you know, through our sacred text. And so I embarked upon a research that would allow not only us to study the Bible as exegesis, but I wanted to do the eisegesis work of it, which is how does the Bible read me? And I thought that that would lead us to a place that would be um, spiritually nurturing because there was so much spiritual hunger in my life because I felt I needed to go that next step beyond. And so that's what led me to say, okay, if you want it this way, then you have to develop it yourself. And I embarked upon um, writing material. And then after I wrote the material, I said, I like to study this in more depth. And that became the um, question for my thesis, 
was how do you frame a holistic spiritual care curriculum that engages the heart, soul, and mind? Mm. So you talked a little bit about actually testing it on yourself. Is that something that you went through, that process on a personal level? Very much so. Um, I often, when I tell my story, I talked about growing up and sitting at my mother and aunt and friend's uh, feet as they did Bible study on Wednesday. And they talked about the power of God and how God was able to do these amazing things like give a man a staff and he opened up the water. And so I've always had a big picture of God, but in my Christian walk, my discipleship, that was missing. And so I longed for that. And so I could say that I was spiritually hungry and I was seeking to be in sync with God, you know, with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit uh, together to make a positive impact on my life. And I was fighting against meaninglessness and spirit. And I was just spiritually unsatisfied. I, I had the head knowledge. I could quote the Bible, read the Bible, but the power that was instilled in me as a little girl, I did not see that take having an impact on my life and on the lives around the people who I was with uh, worshiping. So when I thought about the spiritual unsatisfying experience, I, it dawned on me one day, it's like a light bulb went off and said, you're trying to be like Jesus and it's hard. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's hard to be like Jesus. It's it's hard to be like Jesus. (laughs) Can we just say that? (laughs) It is hard trying to be like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought about why is it so hard to be like Jesus? And then I thought about my context, you know, the place that, you know, God placed me in the family that God gave me and the difficult challenges in life that I had to overcome and the things that um, my society and cultural in the immediate sense Uh, the things that people were going through and experiencing. And so what I decided to do is to say, I need to be like me. I need to find Angela. And so I went inward and started to seek spiritual texts that I could read, like Marjorie Thompson. I I enjoy reading her. Um, I read um, um, Howard Thurman. And I thought, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to be searching. And so when I went inward and start looking at who I am as a person, who I am as someone who is struggling to be Christ-like, and I found out that Christ was inside of me and that if I could learn to be me, then I could learn to be the trueness of myself and express my highest expression of who I am. And when I started to do that, my walk became more purposeful. I start to be able to make connections with how my life had been led. 
how things had played out in my life that I wanted to go this way, but, you know, um, the universe was guiding me in a different direction. And I came to understand that that is the Christ in me that's leading me to become myself. Mm. Mm. Do you feel like um, this is something that is happening to people in your immediate culture, that sense of disintegration that you've experienced, um, a search for meaning? I, 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 I like to broaden that thought, um, uh-huh. not just when I think of my culture, I like to say that all people are my siblings. And mm-hmm. so what I believe is that there's a common denominator in all human spirits. And what we want is to live out the truest and highest expression of ourselves. And we want to be able to do that by experiencing the holy, something greater than ourselves. And to be able to link into that holy and to find myself in there, it gives me purpose and meaning. And even whatever I consider to be my highest and most truest vision of myself, I realize that this is a spiritual journey. And every time you reach one level, there's another level higher. Mm. And challenging and inspiring. Um, You know, I feel like a lot of times in the experience of church today, many of us haven't had the opportunity to go to that sense of both the deeper level of acceptance that, uh, that enables us to want to grow and also um, the sense of challenge, um, challenging questions, challenging practices that actually mold us as we go on about our day-to-day life and um, experience in community. I'm wondering if you, if you look at um, your experience of church today Um, the various churches you've been um, connected with, where, if at all, do you see um, the integration of the heart, the mind, and the soul occurring? Or where might there be possibilities for that to happen that don't exist right now? When I started working with a group of uh, people, they were young adults. They were Mm -hmm. people who were experiencing difficult times in life. And they were going from um, being in a protected environment where they were cared for to being in an environment where now I need to make the decisions about how my life is going to go. And so the age group for my research was 17 to 34. And the young adults that I see in the ministry that I've been a part of, they are struggling to find purpose and meaning in life as they are living their lives. They may have careers that really cause them to not feel complete in some way. And so what they're doing is asking the question, Who am I? Why am I here? And it has to be something greater than what I have experienced thus far. 
And so in the church, I see Christ answering those questions over and over again. And the way in which Christ is answering their question is to say, I am the vine link into me and I can help you walk the spiritual journey. And when I hear that voice in the church saying that I see limited ministries and opportunities for, for people of all different backgrounds and contexts to be able to share their gifts because in the church we have ministries and most of the ministries are sort of like, you know, carbon copies of the next ministry. And so I see young adults coming together, talking about their context, personalizing their context to say, now, how does my life fit with Christ's passion? And how do I know why I am here? And so when you personalize your context, then you have ways in which to use that context in order to know where you need to be in the church. And so it's, it's a discerning process. Yes, but it doesn't come from just reading the Bible. It comes from being true to thyself, the good, the bad, the messy, the ugly, the things you don't want others to see to bring all of that context into the church and have people there who can accept you for who you are and to try to walk with you in a way that allows you to be true to yourself and allows Jesus to be able to show you that, yeah, you have a reason for being here. You know, you were created for a certain purpose. And so if the church could embrace that in love, and I'll always go back to Matthew 22, um, at verse 36 through 40, because Christ introduced a new doctrine to the Pharisees and Sadducees who were asking him questions about, oh, so what do you now believe? And Christ said to love the Lord thy God. So with all thy mind, heart, and spirit. And if we, if the church were to just embrace that text and try to help us to understand how to do that, then they open up a new opportunity of being able to disciple people for the kingdom. I love that so much because often I find that in the public worship experience of church, the thing that we say aloud is a shared affirmation about what we believe. But the things that remain silent in a lot of cases, liturgically speaking, kind of in the worship feel, are the things that we're not proud about or the things where we have growing areas um, in my tradition, the church that I attend has a time of silent confession. But what would it look like to actually um, get the fears, get the failings out loud into a community group so that um, it takes away um, a sense of shame about the areas in the context that we're coming from and the areas we want to grow from? Because you're, you're actually doing this... Oh. In community. Yes. People are in a group through the three steps in the process. Is that right? Very much so. And we come to understand how we develop as a person from the family that we were a part of. And I call that a pathway. 
So that's the first pathway that we start on. And the next pathway. So you have to understand where you're coming from. Yes. And the ways in which the relationships you've had growing up or throughout your life have affected you before you even delve into trying to be like Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Let's yes. Understand. As you said, you have to understand Angela before you even get to the point where you're trying to um, model your life after Jesus's walk. Yes. Jesus's life. I, I had to learn, love Angela. Love it. Not just yeah. know Angela, but yeah, love I had Angela. To- that's exactly. a good distinction. And so yeah. in loving her, I had to become a true reality reflective of how Angela came to be. And so starting with family systems and our culture and the things we were taught and our theology uh, that we learned through our families or the theology that we did not learn through our families. And so that is one of the deepest, most core places to begin. And I can tell you that there's a lot of wounds there. There's a lot of hurt there, but there's also a lot of joy. There's also a lot of love that comes from our family unit, but it determines how we see the world. And sometimes how we learn from our initial family system is just a beginning part of our journey. We have to expand that context as we move out into the world. And so then you become uh, a person who say, okay, yeah, that all happened and I was there to experience it, but how do I personalize it? So, so how has that impacted my heart? How has that stirred my emotions and how have I become a person of faith? You're always looking at your faith and your belief and your connection to the holy as you walk these pathways. So personalization would be the second pathway. And during the uh, personalization, you are integrating So you're starting to say, okay, well, my mom taught me that. So I do this. And as a result, this takes place. So you're starting to integrate how things uh, play out. And Mm -hmm. and then the utilization is is, uh, the third pathway. And in the utilization, small group settings, we're understanding. Now, how do I use that context uh, for setting goals? Uh, for measuring my achievement of goals. And you're using at this point, you're understanding how to use your context to explore purpose and meaning by serving others. So in this context, we're actually going to take what we have integrated and take it out into our communities so that we can start to understand, well, this fits me better or this fits me better as to what I should be doing. And then sometimes we learn that the path that we were on is not totally fulfilling. You know, it was there to provide a, um, a home, you know, get the bills paid, uh, take care of the children, but it's not totally fulfilling me for that inside thing that I would do absolutely for free, but would love to get paid for doing it. And, and, and so, <laughs> and so those are the things that we are coming back to and starting, um, to deliberate on who we are 
and how we came to be that and how that lines up with the image of Christ. Yeah. Could you say a little bit about when, when a person reaches that third stage of utilization and they begin to sense and name and live into that inner drive of that sense of calling, that sense of walking with Jesus, what does that spiritual wellness look like on a day-to-day basis in someone's life? Are there signs that you look for or uh, activities that you look for, um, to determine healthiness. Yeah. uh, I'm glad you asked me that because one of the things that I always come to understand that as a leader, as a founder of spiritual wellness center, that the current that flows the power is the Holy spirit. And we know that the Holy spirit is mysterious as, and I call, and I always say, she is wise. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so <laughs> it's an ongoing process. It's, it's never a attainable uh, grade that you are seeking for. It's always you seeing a change in your life and how you view the world, how you view your place in the world, and how you are engaging other people. So the, I call it the CPU, the context, the personalization, and the utilization. That's the heart of the curriculum. And it's always an ongoing flow. So you're always learning new things about yourself, but you always are gravitating to the next level of love and understanding that you find in your life. Because once you open the door, there is so much in there. There are so many gifts there that you haven't even began to tap into. And I like this for young adults because that's the critical thinking process. So you're learning how to critically look at your life and your situation and to tune that into the source which is God, and to use that to make decisions every day about who you are, how you are in the world, how people engage you, and how you engage others. And once you start, I call the CPU similar to the computer central processing unit. You always are processing life through that CPU. And so the Spiritual Wellness Center want to get you started in this new paradigm thought of how to critically think about your life and the things that impact your life. So you're doing it, you're doing it regardless, but at this point you're, you're putting an intention behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing it intentionally. Yes. And I, I had introduced you talking about the dialogical faith development aspect. It sounds to me like what you're inviting is not only a dialogue between people, but a dialogue with the Holy Spirit of that back and forth, the dialogue with the divine um, and your own life. Yes, yes, that that's very true. And one of the things that I always think about is that when I was writing and trying to come to understand this ministry that was inside of me that was growing inside of me 
like a pregnancy. (laughs) I was going Mm -hmm. through stages, but it always drew me back to Matthew 22. And it encapsulate when I think about loving others, because it's always about being in community to love others as you, as yourself. And so it's not about just loving God with mind, heart, and soul, but it's also about loving each other and loving yourself. So you do this in community in a way so that you're always able to understand, or at least to try to make a connection between things that happen in coincidence and things that happen as part of your faith and your walk and your spiritual journey. And, and I believe that when you are walking intentionally, your relationship with other people, there is a difference because you are loving them. You're not judging them. You're accepting them for their faults as well as you accept your own faults. So you're always in a process of being able to expand outward to that love and and not fear. I tell participants all the time is we were told to fear the Lord. I'm telling you to learn to love the Lord because it is through loving God that you're able to do the things that you need to do to be Christ-like. And so you see other people in your culture, other people in your community, other people in your house, in your workplace. And once you learn to take off that judgmental set of glasses and just look at people and say, you and me, we're humanity and we're on this same journey, different places in the journey, but we're all on the same journey. And I can accept you, you can accept me. And the more you do that, the more you find that you're not judging. It's exciting to hear you talk about that. Um, As someone who struggles with uh, being judgmental (laughs) of myself (laughs) and, you know, everything constantly, you know, and it's like you wake up the next day, I'm doing it again. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you're behind somebody in traffic, I'm doing it again. Um, But that sense of friendship with with the divine friendship with God rather than this sense of undercurrent of fear or being punished or being yeah. um, getting caught for doing something. Yeah. Cause we're always caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we believe God to be omnipotent and omnipresent. So we're always caught, but until we start to be caught and, and not even judge ourselves. Yeah. I, I did that. You know, that wasn't probably the right thing to do, but you know, I can do better, you know, I I can do better. And the more we learn to see the things that we do and not judge ourselves, then we will not be able to look upon God in such a way to say, God is always just judging us, you know, and, and how can I ever get this right? Because I, I keep messing up or, you know, I keep doing a cycle of the same thing, but that's the growth process. That's the spiritual journey. And one of the things that I, um, I believe myself personally 
is that we are deity wrapped in humanity for the sake of humility to learn how to love unconditionally. And I'll repeat that. I believe that we all people, we are deity because we are the Ruach of God. Hmm. Breathe into a fleshly body and we became a living soul. Therefore, we are deity. That is in our spiritual DNA. But we were we're wrapped in this humanity, this flesh. Um, there are a lot of names that people offer uh, our state or our predicament of being, but we're wrapped in humanity so that we can humble ourselves, so that we can learn to accept imperfection. And wrapped in this humanity for the sake of humility, what are we learning? And I believe that awesome test of why we're here is to learn how to love and not just love in a way that seeks love in return, but to love like Christ loved unconditionally. And if we can continue to move throughout our journey, believing that, then we can come to understand that we all have a common bond. And that common bond is to walk this journey, loving, being loved and having love. Thank you so much, Angela. Thanks for being a part of this conversation and um, this podcast and being a part of this movement. I'm glad to. Thank you. You can find Angela's work online at the spiritualwellnesscenter.org. Special thanks to the forward-thinking leaders of the Presbyterian Church USA who first launched this movement, and to the Presbyterian Mission Agency and leaders like you for their support. Thank you for listening to New Way, podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Our producer is Martha Ames Sanders. You can visit our website, newchurchnewway.org. Catch you next time. Thank you.